Hi, everyone. I'm speaking today with Hannah Budali. Um, Hannah, it's so nice to have you with me this evening. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. It's so nice to be with you and hear your voice. Um, so I'm Hannah. I have been first and foremost a doula, starting with training with Rivka nine years ago. Um, since then, I've been on the journey to becoming a midwife, and I'm almost graduated as a certified nurse midwife. Um, so in those nine years, I became a nurse, moved to the United States, where I live now in Virginia, became a reproductive justice advocate, a nurse in many forms, and a mother to two sons. And I'm about to move on to being a midwife, which is very exciting, um, and a birth assistant in out-of-hospital settings. So that's definitely been formative as well. So that's a little about me. So I like to chat with people. Um, I chat with mothers about, you know, how they give birth. And I, I chat with um, people that are working in various different aspects of birth, um, birth justice, reproductive health, um, all sorts of things. And what I'd like to chat with you about, since I, since I have seen you grow over the years, is I'd love to chat with you. Um, I'd like to start our conversation with how, you came into birth work, not necessarily how you started working as a doula, but really what happened before then to draw you to the work of working in reproductive health? Yeah, I have a two-pronged answer to that question. So I was born at home. I was born in my grandmother's house, um, and we actually just sold that house this past year in 2021. So up until this year, I would regularly walk the floor that I was born in. And I just always felt so uh, grateful that that was my experience and really proud of my mom, who was so young. She was 22 and no one in her family had made that choice. And she was like, I'm doing a home birth. And uh, the birth was not straightforward, but it was healthy and very would have maybe gone differently in the hospital. So I've always been rooted in that story. And even in high school, I looked into doing a midwifery apprentice at like 15, just randomly. I was always interested in it, um, but I guess life took me elsewhere and I became much more involved in um, like my degree was in liberal arts and my work was in, was in environmental justice. Um, so even though I had that guiding me since birth, it took me, I mean, not too long till I was about 20 um, when I was about to graduate from my liberal arts degree. And I was actually reading Simone de Beauvoir, who has a really interesting take on motherhood, very negative. Um, and I just really felt like it wasn't fair to put being a creative, academic, intellectual person at odds with being a person who can get pregnant and wants to get pregnant and wants to mother or navigate that journey however they see fit. It felt like it was not accurate or right to keep those things separate. Um, and so I actually met this other midwife um, student at the time who directed me to doula work as like a way of really seeing if if I was if I was meant to be in this other world of really providing care to people when they are navigating those spaces of pregnancy and birth. Um, so it kind of came from deep within my whole story, but then I 
reconfronted it more academically and just feeling like, hmm, I feel like we as people with uteruses have this amazing creative force and it shouldn't be seen as secondary. It is just as powerful and real, if not more so than people who write books and create in many different ways. So that's like my two pronged journey to this world. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned that your uh, beginning of your journey was in environmental justice, because one of the, um, the kind of themes that's coming out in my over a year now of, of speaking to um, to people on my podcast has been um, the links between um, women's experience, uh, reproductive justice, the childbearing year, how the maternity system treats um, birthing families um, and the sense of uh, the colonialization of our bodies and of our uteruses and even of our children. Um, like, oh, your baby could die. Like, you own my baby, you know, and you're just threatening me. Um, so the the let's say the links between reproductive justice and um, and justice around, uh, well, let's just say freedom and ownership, just to make it really, really like straightforward and transparent. And then how does that link together with environmental justice as well? I'm sure it does. It's a mm -hmm. leading question, but what would you say? I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a, that big of a jump from environmental justice to reproductive justice and on to all sorts of other justice. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, my own personal opinion is that reproductive justice is the core of it, everything. Um, but so what do you have to say about the, those links and those the, the, your movement from, re, from environmental to reproductive justice? Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say, that reproductive justice is like the guiding light to the other justices. I feel like before I understood reproductive justice, the way I understand that, uh, which is a concept, I think, named by Loretta Ross in the 90s, um, which says that people should be given the power, have the power to parent when and how they want to and not parent if they don't want to in the communities that they deem safe. Um, so that just overlaps so completely with environmental justice. And when I was in the purely environmental justice field, I was very motivated by um, grand concepts of like zero waste, like, you know, just really focusing on like basic practices like recycling and compost or, you know, fighting pipelines in that macro political way. Um, it was very uh, full of strategy and politics and boardroom meetings and things like that. And then I kind of, when I did find doula care and doula work, I realized that like it felt so much more right for me and comfortable for me, not comfortable, that's the wrong word, but like I was in the right place being with people who are welcoming the next generation and being rooted in their decision-making and having parents and mothers be the leaders in helping form the best world for their children. That's what reproductive justice is. And then in that you're guided to environmental justice because we all want a world that's safe and comfortable for the next generation. So it was it was like changing where it was coming from instead of it coming from me or a bunch of like young energetic student types, like fighting the man. It was more like, okay, you're 
welcoming a baby right now. Can you guide us to keeping your baby safe and have us support you in keeping your baby safe in this delivery room and in life going forward? So I definitely think there's like more than an intersection. I feel like reproductive justice encompasses um, all the other justices, but definitely environmental justice. It's interesting because I, when you were talking, I was having a vision of, um, of the kinds of the kind of care that we used to provide for our, uh, for the families that would come to Montreal Birth Companions, and I think that there's nothing more radical than someone going into a situation with expertise and authority, and status and privilege, and putting themselves at basically the, the the feet of 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 a birthing mother because that's where the power is the power is at the birthing mother and and that's where it's being taken away so if you switch that relationship from i'm i'm the expert um i'm going to do things to you to i am here for you what can what can i do then you're making one of the most radical statements because it's a statement with your own body yes i'll be with you for 36 hours yes Yes, I'll sacrifice like, you know, my own comfort and my own like ability to have, you know, a nine to five or whatever it might be, you know, because I know that that power shift is so important and so rare. You know, I feel like even where I am right now about to graduate with a master's in midwifery, I feel at a certain place like I'm, and I say this very vulnerably, like entitled to a position that is well-paid and like, you know, gentle on my family. But then I'm like, that's never why I got into this, (laughs) you know, like that's not actually part of my vision, but it's so easy for those capitalistic views to trickle in. So to really purposefully flip that at every opportunity you're given, I think is so important. Well, and yeah, and then it's always a it's always a very very fine um, line between having that become your entitlement because you know someone else would love to be making a ton of money in a job that they loved, right? So I hear you absolutely and a hundred percent completely, but it's a very fine line that you have to jump. It, it always being grateful for what you have and not making it the focus of what you do. Absolutely. Yes. So did your own birth experiences affect the way that you practice? Yes. Um, I was so lucky to have a really great midwife for my births. Um, she's um, renowned here in Richmond, Virginia. She's caught my friends. So I'm 29. So, you know, she's been doing this for 30, 35, probably longer, but even just in her role as a home birth midwife in Richmond, at least 30, 35 years. Um, so she's super well renowned and renowned. And she's just, uh, showed me the way midwifery can be. So even like I said, as I enter these spaces where I'm working clinically, uh, that look very different, like the appointment, like I'm right now, I'm a student under other midwives who are working in very medical settings. So I'm learning from midwives who do 15 minute appointments, um, who work 12 hour shifts at the hospital and will deliver, you know, one to 10 babies in that 12 hour shifts, not really having the chance to build the relationship with the family before. That's the world I'm 
working in or not working in, but learning in. So I feel the birth experiences I had have centered me in what I will want my practice to be, which is not (laughs) what I'm learning right now. Um, My births were both at home. Um, My water broke with my first about 12 hours before labor started. I was never uh, guilted or forced to do anything other than stay home and just check my temperature regularly. Um, I was so completely supported and loved, like truly loved and truly seen in my births um, because I had the opportunity to build real connection with my provider. And, and then with pushing um, really my perineum and the like the way that we prevent tearing, slowing the pushing down. That was so important to me. Nothing was rushed. Um, My baby, my first baby, didn't breathe for the first literally 59 seconds because I have it videoed. And in a hospital, that would have been such a hectic, scary thing. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It was, he was on my chest the whole time. And even when I began to be scared, I felt safe to verbalize it and not, think that anything would change I would just be heard so these these experiences really grounded me in what it feels like to know your midwife like really know them and feel loved and seen by healthcare providers I don't think that's the expectation that most people have that they could really build that level of relationship and I got to feel that and it makes me really want to bring that to my future clients I think there's so many ways to get there. Um, you know, there are there are some midwives that practice that have had really difficult birth experiences and others that try and channel their wonderful birth experiences and still others who have never had children and don't plan to. So it's so interesting to me how, you know, different midwives get to their place of practice through so many different paths. Yeah, I feel really lucky. I feel like the most common conversation I have is that someone had a very um, traumatic birth and they feel really empowered to help others not have what they experienced. And I think because I got into birth work at such a young age, I really was able to protect myself and build a good team. So I feel very grateful that that it was available to me and I knew what I deserved and what to look for and how to find it. Um, so yeah, I really had amazing birth experiences so far, the two I have. So, yeah. So do you think, uh, um, in your life, just with the regulations around where you're living and the choices you've made, is it, is it going to be possible for you to, um, make a practice that, that fits with your philosophy? Yes. Maybe I'm naive, but yes, I really do. The boundaries for me are malpractice insurance and um, and just ex- and because of that, accepting regular health insurance. Um, most out-of-hospital providers in Richmond, Virginia are just out-of-pocket because it's so hard to afford malpractice insurance, which is a requirement for receiving any kind of regular health insurance. Sorry, that's technical, but it that's the main barrier is that it just becomes unaffordable. And I do not want to only serve people who could afford to pay me well. Um, 
So that would be the biggest barrier, but I do have this naive uh, hope that I could talk to the insurance companies and make some kind of change there. I just don't understand why they wouldn't. It's so much, it's so cost effective for them. The statistics are so safe. Um, yeah, I just feel like the conversations need to continue to happen, but I do see it as a possibility. Um, and then the next dream I have is that the out of hospital home birth midwives are able to practice kind of like they do in um, Quebec or Ontario, where um, you can be with someone at home being their midwife. And then if they need to transfer, you have a space in the hospital to be continue to be their midwife, um, like admitting privileges, I think it would be called. I feel like that's the most important or one of the most important things with um, leading to just quality care across uh, socioeconomic background uh, across risk factors. So I really, really want to see that happen here eventually. That's one of my dreams. But yeah, I am hopeful. So you're allowed. Uh, you're allowed to open up a, pri- a private practice. Yeah. Where you are. Yeah, Virginia is. You know, that's the thing about southern states that have less. Um, bureaucracy or less government there's much less of a social safety net but then there's also much less regulation on doing your own thing (laughs) so it comes with bad and good but yeah you can really start your own practice here pretty easily well that's the great thing about most of the provinces in canada but it's not it's it's the the real downside for midwifery in quebec because in Mm -hmm. quebec a midwife is not allowed to open her private practice she has to practice uh within really strict regulations and only within the uh, the government clinic setting. So, um, you know, it makes it really difficult. Whereas in other provinces, you know, you can find other midwives who share your philosophy and you can open up a private practice. So I think, I think that makes your practice more individual and, and, and allows families to choose, you know, what, someone who really speaks to them. Mm-hmm. So how do new practices, like, I know there's such a shortage of midwives in Quebec, how do new practices get started, like, even just a new government regulated birth center or whatever it may be? Uh, well, usually there's pressure from the public and from um, various, you know, uh, like birth related groups, and okay. and they open a new birthing center in an area that isn't served, but it's still... I mean, I I get calls from people all the time that are like five kilometers from the catchment area, so they don't have a midwife. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there's, I mean, we could complain wherever we are. I'm just saying that the the one thing that, that you, that you're lucky with is the fact that you're, you're able to possibly, you know, find two or three other midwives who think the same as you and, and maybe work, uh, work out a practice that really suits you. Yeah. I really think that that's just going to happen. I do feel lucky that I'm in a community I've been very rooted in. I moved here not long after I did my training with you. It's been, I think eight years. Um, so yeah, I really see that happening. I'm very hopeful and I just need to, I have such big ideas about what I'd love a practice to look like, like, um, you know, really frame from the care I got when I was pregnant, but also taking what I've learned in my school. Um, I just really want to 
like exactly what we were saying before, decentralize the power and the provider. Like we've been doing a lot of yeast swabs because we do gynecological care too, not just birth. And um, we've been doing like swabs for yeast or bacterial vaginosis. And we look at it under a microscope, which is so awesome and interesting to see the vaginal flora. Maybe that's just for me, but I feel like I would love to have a practice where me and my um, client look at the microscope together. And we do a lot of teaching and learning about bodies in a very decentralized way. So I'm kind of geeking out on all the ways I could make, um, reproductive health care just more empowering but at the same time I have to really keep it close to my heart that I'm brand new and I'm I'm still learning and even when I'm graduated I'll be in my early learning um, and really follow um, with like the great midwives who are in my area and you and not try to overhaul the whole thing too quickly (laughs) that's one of my challenges but that idea of having um having you know the microscope there and the possibility you know there's there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have the ooh factor and say no way i don't want to but then there'll be a lot of people who are like yeah let me see yeah, you know i know like how many people just just um just the the kinds of people that I've been working with recently who are now choosing to give birth at home and, and, um, and possibly do Lotus birth or at least, you know, do everything themselves. And, and they say, you know, for my first birth, I didn't even see the placenta, forget about like Mm -hmm. keeping it attached to my baby. So just an extension of that, you know, providing care for yourself really. And that's just facilitating that for, for women. Yeah, exactly. What would you say the biggest task that is our biggest task as both workers? Mm, Biggest task. It's a great question. I feel like I've just been like going through the motions and the end of my learning that I keep trying to center myself on like, why am I doing this? Cause I know that's like the ground of why I'm becoming a midwife, but and really need to learn to put words to it faster. Um, but it's okay to be slow. The biggest task as birth workers, I think it's to, honor our bodies and kind of back to what I was even saying about the flora of the vagina, just things that feel scary and overwhelming and alienating, just bringing that honor and that power back to the experience of having these bodies and birthing babies in these bodies and really normalizing that process normalizing it in the sense of taking the fear away or minimizing the fear, but also making it really this thing that's really special opportunity that we get to do. So it's both normalizing it, but also lifting it up. Um, And I feel like we can just do that by being available like I think that's what I'm learning more than anything is that you can't force someone to want to look at their vaginal flora or 
you can't force someone to see the process of birth as this magical, deeply ancestral practice that you get the opportunity to touch in that moment of bringing your baby out, especially unmedicated and in your comfort zone of at home. Um, but just being there and being ready for that conversation, being ready to support when someone is asking you to be. And then also being there if you are in the more medical world, like if you're a nurse or something, it's the same thing. You can't change anyone's view in that moment of getting to know them, but just being available and taking the opportunity to normalize whatever moment that you can and empower whatever moment that you can. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned over the past couple of years is that it's not coming from me. It's really being there to lift up and respond to other people. Um, so yeah, that's my answer as best as I can right now. I feel like so much of our task and our work, I like can touch it in moments and it's hard to even put words to like when I'm with someone deep in transition, like that last part of labor, I just know that I'm doing the right thing, helping them in that moment. I just know it deeply in my bones, but it would be very hard for me to put words to that moment. Um, but I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked you about how your birth experiences affected the way that you practice how has your experience at school affected the way that you practice? Hmm. I've learned so much about like the actual nitty gritty of what one needs to know to be a safe healthcare provider. Like I really understand how gestational diabetes works. And I really understand the position of the baby and the cardinal movements of the baby and how to support that transition from being in labor to getting a baby out if needed, if there needs to be support. Um, but I'm thankful for all of that, but I would say that it's, it's having to learn all this medical information and at the same time do constant unlearning um, because having all of that buzzing around your head when you're with someone who's just in normal labor is not very helpful. <laughs> So it's it's confusing. It's definitely way less intuitive of a learning as I had when I was receiving prenatal care um, from an excellent midwife and birthing my own babies. That was very obvious learning, whereas the learning from my school, which is um, a master's degree in the United States called um, um, Master's of Midwifery, I think, Master's of Nursing in Midwifery, um, it's complicated. I'm learning what I need to know to keep my patients safe, especially because I'll be able to do prescriptions and do medical testing um, and all that. But it's not very deep learning for how to support someone through um, normal pregnancy and birth and all the emotional, um, spiritual sides of that. So um, it's confusing. It's a lot of learning and unlearning in learning such a Western model when it comes to midwifery. So how do you, or how can you in the future, how do you think you'll be able to retain that, that cushioning between knowing the risks um, and your own intuition and, and woman knowledge? 
Yeah, I think the way I feel really confident and comfortable with that is constantly feeling very secure in the knowledge that the person I'm helping knows what's best and that the best thing I can do is provide the information that I have, both the um, medical guidelines mostly provided by um, ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecology and um, CDC recommendations and things like that. Um, And what I know from providing my own services to women over years and, and my own understanding of my body and the bodies of the women that I surround myself with and giving all that information to my client and being like, I will support you no matter what you need to do. You know, here are the risks and benefits. Here's the spectrum of knowledge I have and I'll support you. And I think that goes back to the power shift. I think that's hard for a lot of people because pregnancy and postpartum is such a vulnerable time. And I think we all really want to be mothered in that time and guided. Um, But I just don't think that that can be done safely and effectively because you will always guide with some bias, whether if the bias is too medical or too alternative, either way, it's really important for people, especially when they're pregnant and they're about to become parents themselves to learn how to make that discernment and make the decisions that are best for them and their families. It's a very different thing to make decisions for your kids versus for yourself. And I think that's an important transition that midwives can support their patients on by really empowering them to make their own choices once they're given all the information. So I feel okay about that. And even in labor, it's the same thing when I'm feeling concerned about something I feel like the same thing can happen. Like, where do you feel most safe if you're at home and things are happening that are making you a little concerned? I think it's a really hard conversation, but bringing that to the person and letting them make the decision, I think that's just, a f- I don't want to say foolproof, but like a, the best thing that one can do to empower the mother to make that that choice for herself and her family. I had a call recently from someone who is with uh, an obstetrician who, for various reasons that you would recognize and and some of my listeners would, rec- would recognize, is uh, this obstetrician is suggesting to a perfectly healthy mother who is carrying a perfectly healthy baby um, that she's induced at 39 weeks. And um, I know this obstetrician personally, and I know her obstetric history, and I know that a lot of the um, outwardly seeming medical advice actually is coming from her own fear mm-hmm. and her own loss and grief. So where my question's going is, I described to this woman that called me, I described that Unfortunately, modern medicine, the the physicians that I've worked with, who I work with and respect, most of them, um, are really lacking in their training because they are not trained about this really important thing, which is there's a new human coming into the world. This is gigantic. It's gigantic in so many ways. It's gigantic spiritually. It's gigantic sexually. It's gigantic culturally. Like you can name the giganticnesses, you know, and and you can fill a room with that. And they don't understand 
that their reaction to those giganticnesses cannot be just like put into a white coat and a stethoscope, that they do have huge reactions to it and they're not taught how to deal with those reactions. Do you think that your midwifery training has taught you a little bit more than that? Or do you find that it's your other training that is your talks with your friends and your and your fellow travelers and your own knowledge within yourself that you were born with? Do you mean that they have a really they do react to that, they feel it, but they don't know how to translate it? Is that what you mean? They don't know how to translate it. Like my theory about vaginal exams is like you and I know it is incredibly cool to put your hand in someone's vagina and feel a head. Uh-huh. Like that is the coolest thing ever. Yes. We get a cool like it's not overtly sexual, that feeling that we have, but it's powerful. And I think that one of the kind of um, addictions to vaginal exams is because physicians feel that power and they want to do it, but they're not taught about how um, how addictive it can be. Mm. Let alone, I'm not talking about, you know, just that it's rude and that people shouldn't be, you know, sticking their hands in other people's vaginas for no reason. I'm just saying that in that, within that, within that doctor humans, you know, feelings, there are these all sorts of feelings coming up when he or she is doing that act and they're not taught to be human and animal and react to it. So therefore they can't control it. I don't know. I feel like, I remember feeling that way and already in the amount of medical training I've had and not even training, but just exposure, I feel so numb and I can only imagine how numb OBGYN, especially if they've been doing this forever feel. Um, And that's the worst. And that's almost worse. You know, if they were like feeling this intensity of what they were doing I, even though that's weird, I feel like that would be better than just complete disregard, you know? Um, but I, I think the numbness is a reaction because, like I said, they don't know how to deal with that intensity. So, of course, they yeah. have to get numb and clinical. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I think that that's true. And I don't like, no, being coming a certified nurse midwife in the United States is a very, very medical training. I'm thankful for it because it allows me to prescribe and it allows me to work in many different environments and serve the communities I want to serve. But like I said, it's been a lot of unlearning and many of my peers in the program are are not trying to do anything radical, you know, um, and not trying to like engage with the concept of the intensity of, vaginas that's not a real thing or they wouldn't want to verbalize that or acknowledge that um so I wouldn't say that my training informs me about that I would say that my experience being a woman and my experience as a doula and so often as a doula you confirm to people you say I'm not your medical provider I will not do a vaginal exam and something about saying that like elevates it like that's a really big thing and I would mm. casually go around doing that I think mm-hmm. maybe saying that for so many years has made me 
feel that intensity even more. And then, you know, doing a lot of home birth um, as a birth assistant, first of all, it wouldn't be my role to do vaginal exams, but I see how little they're done. And even when someone's pushing, how little is done hands-on. Um, so when now that I'm in the hospital um, catching babies, I'm so hesitant to do uh, very hands-on maneuvers. Um, I feel like it's important to learn because sometimes, rarely, but sometimes they are necessary. Yeah. Um, so I'm like trying to like push myself to learn these things that feel intense, um, but it's very, yeah, it doesn't quite sit right because I've spent all these years building up how big that is. So mm. big learning curve, but I would definitely say that. I mean, most mid, most people in midwifery school um, like the program I did in the U.S. have been labor and del- delivery nurses for like 10, 20, 30 years. So they've already gotten to that level of numbness before even starting the program. Mm. So it's a very different demographic than you would think would be going into midwifery school with like all of that in like immense understanding of the intensity. I definitely wouldn't say that's the majority of midwifery students in the U.S. doing CNM school. So if you could change midwifery education, how would you change it? Mm, That's a cool question. I mean, in the most recent, um, so ACNM is the board that um, governs the the nurse midwives in the U.S., Um, there was talk about taking the nurse out of the title of certified nurse midwives, because I do think the role of the nurse, and this is not to hate on nurses, I've been a nurse for years, but I never wanted to be a nurse. And in my years of nursing, I was so often uh, disempowered. It's like really feels as a nurse that your role is to keep your patient safe and comfortable and to listen, I mean, you literally get orders, you follow orders, those, that's the language that's used, you know, um, and that's such a mind frame that is counter to being a midwife, and being someone who's, like, pushing boundaries, and, like, creating new spaces for healthcare and birth, um, so I definitely feel like the pathway should not be centered on being a nurse first, I don't, I don't feel like that is, needed to be a very to be a good midwife um so that's one thing I would definitely change um I mean to go down history a little go down like um the history of midwifery in the U.S. a little bit um there were midwives um practicing I guess called lay midwives um traditionally called granny midwives but are now called grand midwives where the black midwives of the south there are there are immigrant midwives in all the urban centers mostly black and brown folks um, doing midwifery. And it wasn't until um, the 19, well, then doctors came in and wanted to be the ones doing, delivering all the babies. And then it wasn't until the 20s when they had the idea of having nurse midwives replace the midwives who are already doing the work. And nurse midwives were white and privileged enough to go to nursing school and they followed the orders of doctors and it was a model very much encouraged by white people and by obstetricians so the whole history of nurse midwifery in the united states is pretty messed up so 
I think the least one can do is take the nursing out of it. And that's already starting a little bit by the programs in San Francisco and Chicago, where you become a nurse in one year and then just check that box and go right into midwifery. And I think those programs are a lot stronger, like, for example, than the ones that I did. Um, I just think that it needs to meld much more strongly with um, herbalism ancient practices, practices of people in the local community. I think it needs to be much more um, more well-rounded. It should not be centered around the medical model. There's certainly a place for the medical model that should exist in midwifery education, but it should not be the entire thrust of midwifery education. So um, definitely demedicalizing it, decolonizing it, and probably denursifying it, <laughs> I would also say. I know that um, that you 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 basically you live for for certain standards of reproductive justice and justice in general. And I'm actually very proud that you were part of Montreal Birth Companions and that I can see that you took away so much from that, those experiences that you had. Mm. But um, so let's say in the future, you do open a private practice, uh, midwifery practice, maybe with two or three other uh, midwives who share your philosophies. Where do you go um, with uh, caring for families who are like, okay, out of hospital birth? What if someone doesn't have a home? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what? Where do you go then? Are you allowed to practice in a hospital? Like, how how does that even work? Or is there always going to be kind of an underclass that really doesn't um, deserve in you know the kind of like establishments I um, decent midwifery care? Yeah. So already the place that I've worked as a birth assistant, they have a birth center. Um, So I definitely believe in birth centers as a place where people can come and receive care and be safe if their home isn't the place where it would be safest to have a baby, but they don't need the level of hospital care. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I definitely believe that admitting privileges is key um, to safe care so that transfers from home or birth center to hospital can be safer and more effective. That doesn't exist yet, but... Um, but yeah, I definitely believe in birth centers. I think there's something weird going on about birth centers because for example, when I told people I was having a home birth, I got a lot of flack about it. People would always have something negative to say, um, or something that they would want to scare me with, with that choice. Um, whereas, cause I do a birth circle for the clients who, um, choose to birth at this birth center or home birth practice. And the ones who are choosing to give birth at the birth center, Um, everyone thinks it's really cool. (laughs) No one has problems with that. Um, And so it's like a weird misunderstanding by the public. Like there's this immense difference between home birth and birth center birth when it comes to safety, because there's not home birth midwives carry all the medication. Well, you know, many home birth midwives, if I was a home birth midwife, would carry all the medications that you might need, sterile equipment, oxygen, um, neonatal resuscitation equipment, the whole shebang. Um, just like is at a birth center and just like is at a birth center, there is no operating room. So it's like a weird um, 
community community misunderstanding that these two places are so different. So I want to like break down that barrier a little bit, but ultimately I think it's really important to have some kind of wellness center where people can seek care if that's what they need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's something that's really important for those of us, uh, those among us who, who don't have homes or at least who don't have safe homes right. or at least maybe don't even have, you know, anywhere to give birth in their home, even if it, it is safe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and also just that way of forming a community of providing um, like well woman care and, and all sorts of different types of reproductive healthcare mm-hmm. in a place. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important. I am excited about the idea of doing more things at home just to break that boundary more. Like you could do a pap smear at home. You could do an intrauterine insemination at home. There's so much. You could do an IUD insertion at home. I'm excited to really think through these things that we're we're kind of formed to feel so intensely medical about and home birth really breaks down that boundary, but there's more boundaries. You can create sterile fields at home. Like if you're at home, you have a baby and you have a laceration, like a tear, you create a sterile field and you repair the tear. Um, And so that, that happens all the time, but then it seems so ridiculous to do another sterile procedure at home. Um, But I think that would be great. I think that would make a huge difference. People have such anxiety about, um, gynecological health care and I feel like if it could be done in your own comfort zone that would just be great I think everything that we can do to divide to d- break down the barriers between the expert and the person who's receiving care um, including you know doing gynecological care at home including talking more about giving birth at home including letting people look at their vaginal flora in the microscope if they want to yeah. And giving the the birthing family the very last word, like they have the power. Yes. I know. I mean, and it just sets you up. I mean, this is back to the question about what's our task as birth workers. I feel like I'm very geeky and excited about the the details of birth work and reproductive health, but truly what we're doing supporting this process is helping people get ready to parent and bring the next generation up. And how are we doing that effectively if we're taking people's power away? We don't go home with these people. We're not holding their hand through every decision in life. So it's such a great opportunity to build that confidence and that trust in yourself. Um, I think that's a huge task that we have as birth workers is to really hone that in, that feeling that, okay, I'm a parent. I'm an adult human being. I'm able to make these decisions confidently for myself and feel really supported and empowered in that. I think that's really huge. It's absolutely gigantic. And yeah. and and it goes for everyone. You know, if I'm 14 and I got pregnant and I'm giving birth on my own, I want to feel like an adult human being who's loved yeah. and respected. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we have lots of work ahead of us. I'm so so proud of you and so happy that you're that you're doing this work. So happy for you, so happy for yeah. your clients and your future I clients. Well, for you, Rebecca, you really like I don't know what it was, but I had that first cute little 
doula class just me and that other student in your cute little house and I remember just getting <laughs> home like four miles or something just like so happy and thankful for you so it's been a long time that I've been grounded in your outlook so I appreciate you well I wish you many 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 years of of midwifery practice and I'd like you now to think up one word that you would like to leave our listeners with it's kind of a boring word, but it's a great one. Just love. I just have learned that being loved and loving is not that hard, and we could just be spreading it and sharing it with our clients and our families and our neighbors. So love. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Rivka. Love you. I love you too. So we're back because uh... – we were back in the green room and um, and talking about how wonderful the chat was. And then Hannah said that there was something that she had wanted to talk about, but we hadn't talked about it. And it's a really, really big topic. The, the, the topic of burnout. I experienced it myself. I was working as a doula and, um, and I was working in people's homes and I was just done. I was done with watching women be abused in the hospital. I was done with the political reality that I was working in. So I went and started up a cafe instead. So Hannah, speak to, speak to what you're, what you're thinking about um, burnout. Yeah. Well, I knew that you had that period of burnout. Um, multiple midwives in my community in Richmond have had severe burnout and my just support people and friends are constantly asking me why I'm not why I am not burned out because I have two little kids they're three and almost two um, I'm in school working as a nurse on call as a birth assistant and um, doing doula work and running a doula nonprofit here as well or like helping to manage it at least um, there's always something on my mind birth related there's always something that I feel like I should be doing um, and then it's also often that I'm just doing it. And then also my home life. So I just feel like it's on the verge because people have planted that seed. But I honestly just feel so motivated and excited about everything I'm doing. So I'm just fearful that something's going to come and I'm not going to see it coming. So I wanted to know what you had to say about it. What I have to say about it is, first of all, um, you know those women that are like they're planning a home birth. Like my my best favorite story about a woman that was planning a home birth was a woman who was in her late forties and she had decided to have a child. Um, she needed a bunch of fertility treatments. She got pregnant. She decided she was absolutely no way going into the hospital or getting a registered midwife and going to the birthing center. She was going to have this birth on her own, and. All sorts of people, her friends, her family, um, the midwife that she went to originally, everyone said, oh, well, you like you can't do like something's going to happen. And I feel like you're experiencing that, like, oh, you're going to end up with a C-section. You will want the epidural. You know, you haven't even started going through transition yet. So you're going to want the epidural mm -hmm. like, oh, you couldn't give birth at home. So. You're getting scared uh, because people are telling you and planting these seeds, just as if you were a pregnant pregnant for the first time and people were planting those seeds. Mm. And I think that 
people get burnout for very different reasons. They put themselves in very different situations. And I don't think it's a given mm. that both workers get burnt out. I know some of the some of my my favorite people in birth have never got what we call burnout and and they're they're people that are doing so much work and and they're continuing to do it and they they always do it they might get a little tired of what they're doing every once in a while um but you you yourself mentioned your key and that is love mm. you you live a very loveful life and I think that that lubricates things so 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 well and so effectively that that first of all, it would take a lot to burn you out. But secondly, because you're aware, you're going to feel it way before. If if it ever did happen, you would be very sent. You'd see that little cloud on the horizon, and you'd do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful. And it's interesting you made that comparison to like being in labor and being kind of told by others that you can't do it because being, being in this period of time where I'm so rapidly becoming a midwife, like I was doing didactic courses and now I'm really doing it like 40, 50 hours a week. I'm in clinic catching babies, doing um, prenatal clinic, all of that. I literally feel pregnant. My rapid, rapid change in who I am and who I'm becoming, it feels just like being pregnant. Um, so I think that's such an apt comparison and feels really good. No one said that to me. Um, and I was just telling my friend who is one of the people who is worried about me. I was like, you could just take, cause she's also a midwifery student. And I'm like, you could just take on what you feel like you want to take on. And then if you can't, then you can't, you know? And I feel like that's how I've been making it work. Like, if I feel like I'm going to take four clients as a doula and then that month comes and like, there's no way, then I just won't. So just being flexible, I definitely feel like I have that going for me, like that flexibility and the self-awareness to not let things get out of hand. So that's helpful for you to lift up the positive side. And the other thing about that, that you mentioned about how you were really blessed with, you know, a really great midwife who, um, you know, attended your birth and everything. But you went into those birth experiences as well with that same kind of flexibility. Mm-hmm. I've known midwives that have gone into um, uh, attending births with not so much flexibility. Like, you know, no, I'm going to keep my I'm going to keep my clients out of the hospital. I'm going to teach them about this and that. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And if you put the world on your shoulders then it's more likely that you're going to get burnt out. Yes. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. I mean, so much of what we talked about was empowering people to guide their own stories and we're here to walk with them. And that's not us carrying them down the path and that's much less heavy. So that's a good way of putting it. So, I wouldn't worry about burnout. You, you, you've surrounded yourself with a cushion of love, and the more love you give, as you know, the more you get back. So, yeah, that's great. I will continue to do that. That means so much. Thank you. And those of you out there who are feeling burnout, 
you know, it's a tough one. I've been through it and it is indeed a tough one. And you just have to like step back. Everything will go on as before. Like Hannah says, you know, the world will continue if you can't take four clients that month. Mm-hmm. And the world did continue. And, and when I stepped back, now there are so many amazing birth attendants in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the water fills things in if you, if you need to take a, a couple of steps back and, and do something else. 